But what I wanted to talk about this morning is the dangers of unbelief. And what I want to ask you is this. Is it possible that you are sitting in this pew this morning, going through the motions, but you do not believe in our resurrected Savior? Because it can be done, and it's been done time and time again. What the writer of Hebrews is speaking about this morning is a danger, sort of a warning to individuals to say, don't just go through the motions. Don't just think that by sitting in a chair that you actually have a relationship with the risen Savior. But better yet, what he's also speaking about in this book are the dangers of looking to other things when Christ isn't satisfying your needs. And so this morning, I'm going to ask a simple question And I want you to think long and hard about this. In times of struggle, challenge, or difficulty, has your heart become hardened toward God? Now, I'm not saying in moments of challenge or difficulty or strife, there aren't times where you go before God and say, Lord, what is it that you're doing? Or you wrestle with God. But let me ask you a question. Has your heart become callous toward him? Indifferent toward him? angered toward him or ignoring him. And that's what we're speaking about this morning because what we're going to discover is if that is the case, perhaps you never really knew our Savior at all. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage, but in order to be able to understand this passage, we've got to go back and remember and recognize that the writer of Hebrews is coming to the people of God who had seen the resurrected Savior, had moved forward and recognized what Christ has done. But probably 30 to 35 years had gone by. Jesus had died. He had risen uh, from the grave. He was now ascended into heaven saying, hey, I'm going to come back for you. The excitement was there, but now things were getting hard. Things were getting challenging. They were being persecuted. And individuals began saying, you know, this whole Jesus thing doesn't seem like it's working. It doesn't seem like it's right. It doesn't seem like it's doing what we think it should do. And so what do they do? They go back and they start looking for the things that they had in the past to provide for them what they should have in Jesus. They look back and they begin to think, well, maybe we need to go back to to worshiping angels. Maybe we need to go back to worshiping Moses. Maybe we need to go back to the Old Testament. And so through the book of Hebrews, what the author is saying is, don't fall for those lies. Don't go back to what was when you have what you have in Jesus Christ. And he moves forward and he demonstrates in the first couple of chapters why Christ is better than angels. And then he moves forward and he demonstrates why Christ is better than Moses. And last week we were talking about the fact that the individuals were looking to Moses and saying, well, maybe we need to go back to him. And essentially what the writer did was say, look, when you look at who Moses is, he's renting the home. But let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is the builder of the home, and he's also the owner of it. And then the aha moment comes. And the writer says, P.S., by the way, 
You, meaning the people of God, are that home. And that's what's being stated there. And so individuals begin to realize, hey, we're going back to Moses, who's the renter, and we're asking questions where all Moses in this analogy can do is say, look, I'm just renting. I'm just serving. I, I'm, I'm not the owner. You need to speak to the one who knows. And that's Jesus. And so we get into today's text, and the reason that I'm laying that foundation is this text doesn't make a whole lot of sense when we recognize, or don't recognize, sorry, the fact that we're coming off the heels of the argument that Jesus is better than Moses because Jesus is the builder and the owner of the home. But then he moves into this warning, and he says, look, I want you to think about this for a minute. And I want you to think about where your hearts are with God. Are they hardening or hardened toward him? Have you become callous toward him? And let me tell you what happened to the people who were following Moses when their hearts became hardened toward him. And therein lies what we're going to see in these next couple of verses. Again, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to be reading from uh, Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 19. The writer starts off and he says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years, saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. And as had just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom? Was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. I want to ask just a simple question. Where is your heart with God? Do you believe in Christ? Do you believe in the resurrected Savior? Do you believe indeed that he has died and risen from the grave to forgive you of your sin? Have you made him Lord of your life? Is he everything to you? Or are you here this morning and thinking, you know, I don't really believe in God. Or my life hasn't gone the way that I want it. I started off that... God isn't giving me what I want or what I desire. And so my heart is hard toward him. 
lovingly, what I want to tell you is that this warning here is just to cause you to wake up and say, where do I stand with Christ? Where is my heart with Him? Have I become hard like those in the rebellion? Have I become angry with God because God has done something great for me, but He's not doing what I want and how I want it and where I want it? And so because of that discomfort, I have said there is no God, or I have tested, or I've questioned Him in anger? That's what the author is writing about this morning. It's interesting because we start off, and what I want to show you is this. The writer has come off the heels of speaking to the fact that Christ is better than Moses. And then he says, so as the Holy Spirit says, now recognize that the Spirit of God is now within these individuals. The Holy Spirit has always existed, but prior to that, the Holy Spirit, triune aspect of God, dwelt in the ark. And yet what we see after Christ's death and resurrection from the grave and ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit descends upon the people of God and dwells within them. And so he speaks and he says, listen and see if you hear the voice. But notice that it's not if, not in the future, not someday, he quotes from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And this is key to understanding what's going on. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And one of the reasons that I think that's so important is oftentimes individuals will look and they will say, you know, I've heard about God, I've heard somebody talk about Jesus, but I don't know. And it's okay to have doubts. But one of the things that I want to encourage you in, and the reason that he's saying today is this. We all think that we have many promised lives. We all think that we will move forward and grow old. But what I'm going to tell you is, is none of us are promised tomorrow. And so the writer says, today, if you hear his voice, cry out to God. Cry out to our Savior. Do not harden your heart. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to say this. Some of you I know your lives. Some of you I don't know your lives. But I probably can summarize that in times of hardship or struggle, perhaps you've become hardened toward God. In times when you've wanted something one way, but it went completely different or it did not go the way that you expected, perhaps you've become angered toward Him. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're sitting and saying, you know, I'll believe if, when, show me this, show me that. And yes, we can show you. But oftentimes it's always, if this, I'll believe. I want to know that, then I'll believe. I need to know here, then I will believe. Always testing God. And what the author is doing is he's saying, be careful that you don't test him to the point where your heart becomes so hard that you cannot see him standing right in front of you saying, come, my son or my daughter, I died for you. It's interesting because the writer uses this psalm and he says, look, you've been wanting to go back to Moses. You've been saying that perhaps it's better to go back to him over Jesus. But let me tell you, how did it go 
for the people when they were with Moses. And so he uses the psalm to essentially say, not very well. We start off, and essentially Psalm 95, 7 through 11, is recalling the events of the rebellion of the people of God. There's two kind of key fundamental aspects that it speaks to. It speaks to when the people became angry at God in Exodus, and they said, you know what? Why did you even bring us out of Egypt? And I'll speak to that in a moment. And then it speaks to another time when God said, look, there's the land, go and take it. It's yours. And so the people of God in numbers sent out the 12 spies. The 12 spies look out onto the land and they say, yes, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's an amazing place. And that is the land that God has given to us. But there's a problem. There are big people out there and they are mean and they are strong and I don't think we can go. And so the people of God look and they say, should we or should we not? The land's been promised. It's been given. God said it's yours. But they decide, we're not going to take it because we don't believe him and we don't believe his promises. And so out of all of the people that have moved out from Egypt, only two believe the promise. And let me explain. We go back to Exodus. Looking at the Exodus account, I'm going to read to you from Exodus 14, uh, sorry, 14, verse 12, and I would encourage you to kind of read all of this because that is what lays context to what's written right in these verses. And interestingly enough, again, the people of God have been taken out. They've been delivered. They're doing their thing. They're out of Egypt. They're out of slavery. They're out of Pharaoh's rule. But things aren't going how they want. Things aren't going how they expect. Things aren't going how they think God should be operating. Yet God is graciously providing for them daily. And so in Exodus 14, 12, this is what they say. Did we not say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Basically what they're saying there is they're saying, you know what, God? It'd be better for you to leave us in our sin than to die in the situation that we're in. And yet what God graciously did in this moment is he said, I am taking you out of Pharaoh's reign. I am delivering you away from him. And I am going to give you a land. And yet they forgot his promise. And so they're out in the middle of the desert and they look and they say, you know what, God? It'd be better. It would be better if we were enslaved back in Egypt without you than to be with you and die in the desert. Do you see what's being said? God, it would be better to not have you and be enslaved than to die in the situation that I'm in. They've completely forgotten about how God has provided for them. And so this morning, what I want to ask you is this. If God did that for his people there 
and Christ died on a cross and has shed his blood for you, are you saying it'd be better for me to die in the desert than to be with you? That's what's being stated. And then they continue on and we're looking and the people are thirsty for water and so they're looking and God says, well, I'll provide and Moses is doing his thing. We get to Exodus 17, 3 and it says, but the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? One time is enough. Why did you bring us out? We're going to die in the desert. Two times now. Why did we come? And you have to recognize that God has delivered his people. God has provided for his people. And what they're saying is, is it'd be better for us to be enslaved. It'd be better for us to be without you. It'd be better for us to be under Pharaoh than to be here with you in the situation that we're in. And so this morning, what I want to ask you is this. Are you saying that? You know, it'd be better just for me to be without you than to be with the situation or the hurt or the pain or the struggle or whatever it is that I'm dealing with. Yeah, I know you died. I know you rose from the grave. I know you did that for me. But my life isn't going the way that I want it. So it'd be better. Just leave me alone. I don't want you anymore. Do you see the hard heart? Do you see how easily it can come? Do you see how unbelief is what the author is warning about? And so not only in that, we continue on. And right after this, write just a few short verses in summary. We read these words in Exodus 17, 7. And he, and I inserted Moses, so you see, called the place Masa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so lovingly, what I want to ask you is this. In times of testing, are you hardening your heart toward God and saying, are you even there? And what I'm going to show you in a minute is, it's better to die in a desert with God than to have all the provisions of the world and be enslaved to Pharaoh. But then, in a moment, I'm going to show you the better than that in what we have in Christ. He continues on, and we look to the Numbers account. And what we need to remember in Numbers is, again, that they're close to getting into the land. They're looking out, and they're saying, we're almost there. And so that what they do before going into the land is, is they get together, and they say, you know what? We're going to get some information about what's going on. We're going to send 12 spies out into the land to see what's happening, to report back, to give us an idea of what we need to do and how we need to go and when we need to do it. And so the spies go, and again, they come back, like I said earlier, and everything looks great. It is everything that God has promised. Nothing of what God has said isn't there. It's not like God said, hey, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. I'm going to give you a promised land, right? And then they get there, and it's not the promised land. It's not what they thought. It's everything and more. But there's a problem. Those people over there, they're big. If you give an analogy, it's like me trying to go up against Betzer. I probably 
could get one shot in, and then I just hope I could run faster than him. And back in the day, maybe, but now I don't know that my endurance would keep up. I'm not going up against him. But God promised that's the land. But I'm not going to do it. And so they don't. And this is what occurs. We're reading in Numbers 14, 36 through 38. I would encourage you when you have some time to read essentially the Exodus account as well as the Numbers account in its totality. But in the amount of time, I'm just kind of getting right to the heart of the rebellious aspect of what's going on and being stated in Hebrews. So then, uh, we look, the men that Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. We don't believe your promises, God. We don't believe what you've said. We don't believe that you've told us this. And so what's happening here is the author of Hebrews is saying, remember what happened in the rebellion. So the first point that I want you to see that we look at, particularly in verses 7 through 12, is this. May we not harden our hearts toward God to the point of sinful unbelief. Because God doesn't exist to make you happy. God exists to save your soul from eternal damnation. Interestingly enough, what's happening here is the people were enslaved in Egypt. They were under Pharaoh's oppression. And God, graciously in his mercy, came forward and demonstrated his power over Pharaoh. He demonstrated indeed that, yes, Pharaoh might be the most powerful king in the land, but I am king over him and I am the king of the universe. And Pharaoh pales in comparison to me. And through a variety of miraculous signs, God demonstrates that indeed he is faithful and he delivers God's people out of the tyranny of Pharaoh and begins to move them toward the land and says, I am with you and I will provide for you. I will always be with you. I am your God. And so they leave slavery and they get out into the traveling portion. And it's hard. And it's tough. And it's not as easy as they thought. But God is there and God always provides. And so here's where I want to go with you. How many of you have started off in your Christian faith thinking, hey, this is great. But you've gotten a couple miles in and you're like, yeah, I'm done with the race. And what we're going to discover in a minute is, have you even signed up for the race at all? They're saying, it's better to be here. Everything that you've provided, God, we don't want. Realize the severity of what they're saying. 
for us today, it's like, oh yeah, they're mad. They're kind of throwing a tizzy. No, what they're singing to God is, we know you've done all of this for us. We know you've been with us. We're in a situation and we don't like it. And we're going to tell you we would rather be back where we were without you than in a situation that we're in with you today. That's a hard heart. They're saying, I want to be enslaved again. And so interestingly enough, what I want to encourage you about this morning is, sometimes people are excited about moving forward in their life, and hey, I've got these sins or issues in my life, I've got these problems or challenges, and they become excited about the fact that perhaps Jesus will deliver them from them. And that's wonderful, and I'm not belittling those things, but here's what I want to tell you, and this is so important to hear today. Don't just leave your sin, okay? But embrace the Savior. There, that is a, a huge aspect that we must look at. Don't just leave your sin. Because if you leave your sin but you don't embrace the Savior, you are still dead in your sin. And so often, so many people might say, oh, well, you know, I'll get a better this, or I'll get a better that, or this will be better, or that'll happen, and so I'm going to move forward because Jesus exists to give me a better life. And so they move forward, and praise God if Jesus does give you a better life, but sometimes when you embrace Jesus, the life becomes harder. And so they move forward, and they're embracing, essentially, the better life. But they have not embraced the Savior So often, and I know this is going to offend people, people look and they say, oh, I want all of the benefits. I want all of the good things. I want, I want to make sure that all is well in my life. And I'm just going to kind of check off my cards. And so I want to make sure that I'm not going to have to worry about being separated from God. I want my sins to be for, forgiven. I want to go to heaven. But here's what I want to tell you. If you don't want a savior and you don't want to live for him, you got a problem. I'm going to summarize it this way. You cannot say, I want my sins forgiven and I want to go to heaven, but I still want to live like hell. Where in your life is there a marked change that indeed you are a child of God and you have embraced the savior? Now, I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying that I don't get up and I have sins and Jesus forgives them. But so many people in the world want all of the benefits but zero of our Savior. And so lovingly, what I want to ask you is this. In your heart, have you become hard and said, yeah, I want all of these things, but I still want to live the way of the world? And we continue on and we get back into the book of Hebrews, understanding now essentially this quote from Psalm 95.7 is speaking us to this Exodus numbers event, reminding the people who are saying, hey, we want to go back to Moses. He's kind of saying, look what happened to the people who were under Moses and what God did to them. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the deserts. Where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. 
This is why I was angry with that generation, and I said their hearts were always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you have a, a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And it's interesting enough because those individuals move forward and they're so close to entering into the land, but because of their unbelief, because of their doubts of the promises of God, they do not enter the land of rest. And here's what I want to tell you. That's one thing. It's bad enough not to enter the land, but in this better than or worse than understanding of Hebrews, how bad would it be never to enter the eternal rest of God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Because what's happening here is, is the writer is saying, look, during this time, God was using Moses to deliver God's people to a land, which is important. But Jesus has died and shed his blood for you to deliver you, not from Egypt to the promised land, but from eternal damnation to God's kingdom. How much bigger is that? And then he continues on. And interestingly enough, he says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Brothers and sisters, this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. How are you running the race? Then he says, as just has been said, if he reiterates the first statement again to place emphasis, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So often individuals say, yeah, you know, that's fine. I'll just, I'll worry about it later. I want to live my life for me. I want to live my life for what I want to do. I'll come to Jesus at some point, but I'm going to just kick that can down the road. And like I said, as well, I pray that our lives continue. And for me personally, I've told you before, hope I live till I'm 102 and Jesus takes me while I'm skiing down the Hobax in Jackson. But that's not promised. And so the urgency that the writer writes is says, don't kick that down the road. Today, don't harden your heart toward God. And so what we see through this is, how do we, how do we move forward? Well, look at what is written. And that's what we see in verses 13 through 15. Then we move forward. And rather than having our hearts hardened to the point of sinful unbelief, may we encourage one another daily. May we hold firmly to our faith in Christ. How many of you are holding firmly to your faith in Christ? How many of us are encouraging one another daily? I think it's interesting because let's take a look at what's written here. But encourage one another daily. Okay? Number one, are we encouraging each other? Just... As brothers and sisters in Christ, are we, are we going to one another saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I know you're going through a hard time. Hey, I know you're struggling here, but I'm just, I'm, I want you to know I'm here and I'm praying for you and you're doing a good job. Now, how many of us are doing that daily? 
Because the thing about it is, is it's not like, yeah, every so often, you know, the enemy's going to come in kind of when he gets around to you, and then it might get hard. It's daily encouragement. We look and recognize we're to put on the armor of God, what? Every once in a while? When we feel like it? When it's Halloween and we don't have a costume and we need to come up with something quickly and we want to stay biblical, so we throw on the armor of God and say, okay, great, there we go, now we've got it? No, daily. And then also, watch this. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. How are we encouraging one another? The other thing, too, is God is God and we are not, but what are we doing? How are we praying for those who may have appeared to have fallen away from the church? Now, I'm not God. I'm not the one who says they're saved and they're not. God is the one who does that. But do we have hearts for those people? Or do we just cast them away, thinking, oh, it's too hard or too far gone? They tried, they gave up. Are we going to them and saying, hey, God loves you. Get into the race. Another thing, too, that I think is interesting. Verse 14 backs it up. We have come to share in Christ. Now notice this. If we, it's a statement, okay? If we, kind of just go through the motions, right? Is that what it says? No, it says hold. If we hold to Christ. No, it says hold firmly. Okay? Notice to hold firmly, the idea there is to hold on because the enemy is constantly trying to distort, distract the work of the kingdom. Where's the finish line? It's at the end, isn't it? That's why we say that the life of following Christ is a marathon, it isn't a sprint if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. One of the things that I'll tell you is this. Again, I am not God, and I, not, I will not say who is saved and who is not, but I can tell you that genuine evidence of someone who is a believer in Jesus is when the world around them is spinning and they are in a storm and they are holding firmly to, to our Savior. If I were a betting man, I'd put my money on that person and say, yeah, they know Jesus. And so interestingly enough, this is where I want to go with this. So often in our lives, we want Jesus Christ, and we want all the benefits, but then when we come to Christ, we want Jesus to give us an easy life with what we want, how we want, and where we want it. And when it doesn't happen, we're mad at God. We say, well, therefore, because you didn't do that, you must not be God, and I don't want you anyway. And the challenge in that, and the reality in that, is what's happened is, is you've embraced the better life, you haven't embraced the Savior. You never did.
God is the one who we must embrace to help us weather those storms. The other thing I want to encourage you in is this. I know there's many questions and people are saying, okay, so when I read this passage, when I look at this, is it possible that I could lose my salvation? Is it possible that I could come before God, genuinely believe in Him, and then somehow, some way, through hardness of life, I could just not make the cut? Okay? And here's what I'd like to do. This is kind of a nice summary for it. I can go deeper into it if you'd like in the future, but kind of in a core piece, this is what I'd like to say just so that we're not worried about the fact that if we've come to Christ that somehow, some way, we might not make the cut. The evidence of Christian, okay, truly partaking of Christ's salvation involves endurance to the end. That is a true statement. You will endure to the end. Now, some have argued that true Christians can lose their salvation. Scripture is clear, however, that true believers cannot lose their salvation as evidenced by John 10, 27 through 29, Ephesians 1, 4, John 6, 39 through 40, Romans 8, 35 through 39, Philippians 1, 6, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 5. You cannot lose your salvation if you are a genuine believer in Christ. Thus, the, log the logical argument okay, of Hebrews chapter, 13 verses, uh, or sorry, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, is that those who hardened okay, or become hardened give an outward evidence that they are not and have never been genuine believers who share in Christ. Because genuine believers do not become hardened, instead they persevere. That is, they hold on to their original confidence firm to the end. Or, simply stated, the doctrine that perseverance of the saints. So I don't want people thinking or worrying today, hey, I do believe in Jesus, and I am moving forward and there are hard things in my life could I not make the cut but what I want to encourage you in is this check your heart and it goes back to that idea have you embraced the savior or are you embracing the promise of a better life because so often individuals fall to the point where they embrace the promise of the better life like so many did when they were in slavery in Egypt than embracing the promise of the Savior. And when life got hard because their hearts were for the better life and not for the promises of God, they said, I don't want you. They never believed in the first place. And so it continues on and we see, may we not harden our hearts toward God to the point of sinful unbelief, but rather may we encourage one another daily as we hold firmly to our faith in Christ. Why? So that we don't force ourselves to be unable to enter into the eternal rest with God. And notice I said force ourselves. Brothers and sisters, those of you that are gathered here today, you choose. You choose your destiny with God. What do I mean by that? 
God is there and he is offering his salvation to you. It's clear in scriptures today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You're the one who says, I don't want to harden my heart toward God or eh, I don't want it. Or God was going to give me this and he didn't. Jesus gave Judas every opportunity to know him. Jesus gave Judas every opportunity to know him. And even in knowing that he would be betrayed, he continued to give him every opportunity to know him. And so what we see is this. He reiterates, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry with for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They never believed in the first place. So brothers and sisters this morning, people that are with us, I ask you this. Are you in the caravan? Are you walking along looking for the better life? Do you look the part? Do you look like just everybody out there, but your heart is unbelieving? Is your heart hard toward God? May you not just look the part. May you not just try to have the better life. May you embrace the Savior and be saved from not just wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, but from eternal damnation. And may you enter into his eternal rest, his kingdom, as we place our faith and trust in Jesus. How do we do this? What are some things that I would encourage us with? This is what I want to talk about for just a couple minutes. First of all, guard your heart. Are you guarding your heart? What are we doing to guard our heart? What are we doing to draw us more toward God and away from the world? Do we even guard it? Do we even think about it? Do we even think that we need to be on guard against the world? Do we encourage and exhort one another? Do we come forward and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, keep persevering. Hey, God's got you. Hey, the Holy Spirit is with you. And then also watch out for the deceitfulness of sin because sin will always look good. Sin will always promise the better. Sin will always look tantalizing. Sin will always promise the better life now until you get there and discover that it's not life at all. Eat from the apple. It's going to be good. You're going to be bigger than God. And you're going to have all of the answers. That sounds really good. Oh, schnoiky. What did I just do? Sin will always lie to you. Sin will always promise you a better life. Sin will always promise you an easy way out. Sin will always say, God doesn't know what he's doing. Watch out for its deception. Because once it's got you, it's got you. And then hold firmly to Christ. And let me reemphasize this. Hold firmly to Christ.
Some start out well, but later on abandon their faith and reveal that they were never among us in the first place. But here's what I want to encourage you with. Remember that only by being drawn into the wilderness may we grow in our faith with God. What am I saying here? Sometimes we don't want hardship. But how did the people truly see that God was providing for them when they had no more provisions of their own? And so what we look at is as we're drawn into the wilderness, okay, in this analogy, as we're drawn into something that's hard, when we can no longer do things for ourselves, when we're looking and we're saying, hey, I'm at a loss. That's where God comes in and says, I am here and I am providing for you. I have always provided for you and I always will. And that's where our strength is encouraged. And that's why earlier I've said that when you watch some of the most beautiful people before God, hearts filled with God's joy, if you talk to them, their lives have been riddled with challenge, riddled with wilderness, riddled with hardship, and yet they've turned to God and they've said, God always provides, God always encourages, God always blesses. So brothers and sisters in Christ, don't be afraid when God is leading you into the wilderness. Don't be afraid and think that God has left your, perhaps God is leading you into the wilderness to demonstrate truly I am here and to grow you in your faith with him. Time to struggle and challenge and difficulty as your heart become hardened toward God. We've seen particularly in this that the author is saying, may we not harden our hearts to the point of sinful unbelief. Rather, may we encourage one another daily and hold firmly to our faith in Christ. Why? So that we don't force ourselves to be unable to enter into the rest with God. Trusting and knowing that if we've truly believed in Christ, he will hold us firmly till the end. We cannot lose our salvation when we are a genuine believer of Christ. Do not be fearful of that. But I would say this, check your heart. Have you embraced truly the Savior? Take home truth, simply this, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, okay? The Spirit within us. You will hold firmly till the end, just as you did at first, and praise God for it. The Spirit is a deposit that is imparted to us, guaranteeing our inheritance. But I ask you simply this. Is the Holy Spirit within your heart, or is your heart hard toward God? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for the book of Hebrews. Father, we thank you for his writing. We thank you for the understanding of how much better Christ is. And with that, Lord, when we're tempted to turn to other things, whether it's uh, other religions or other uh, kind of philosophies or other thoughts about God or life or uh, psychology or whatever that might be, that we would genuinely turn to you and recognize that indeed you are the best of the best and that we are grateful for it. Father, with that too, I pray that as we go about our life, as we continue to persevere, that in those moments in the wilderness we would turn to your promises and that we would continue to see your blessings of love, mercy, and grace upon us. 
We're grateful for you. We're grateful for all that you've done. We're grateful for what you did on the cross to give us life in your kingdom. And we do pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. We ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say,